0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com.
1: Good to be with you. My name is Ryan, and I'm so happy you're joining us right now. On today's episode, we listened to a conversation that I had with pastor and author, Chris Price. Chris is the lead pastor of Calgary Baptist Church here in the Lower Mainland of British Columbia. And he's actually in a time of change as he and his family are going to do a church plant in Vancouver City. Chris is an awesome guy and he's really easy to talk to. We had an opportunity to talk about a lot of different questions in life and ministry around relationships and our faith. And it's a really fun, lighthearted conversation. He's an awesome guy, really easy to talk to, but really deep as well. And so as you listen to this, I, I hope that you are encouraged and that you can even laugh a little bit too. This is Chris. He is the lead pastor of Calvary Baptist Church and has been a part of that community for longer than 12 years. Um, So Chris, thanks for being on the show with us today.
0: Thanks so much for having
1: me. This is great. This is great. And what I want to try and do actually is just, I want to like ask you a number of questions. And for those who are listening, if you don't know Chris Price, you might know somebody like him, where he's kind of one of those guys that you want to sit at a coffee shop with and just ask him anything. Because whatever he's going to bring to the table is going to be something worth talking about, something worth reflecting on. So Chris, would love to hear um, you're in ministry and you're a pastor. What was it like? What did you come to faith? And how did you end up being in pastoral ministry?
0: Yeah, I grew up in a family that attended church and was pretty serious about their Christian faith. But I was not a follower of Jesus until I was 20. And in my teen years, my parents, they kind of forced me to go to church for a time. But I was in a really rebellious phase with, you know, drugs and all these kind of dark things that I was doing until eventually kind of the bottom fell out of the fun. And I found myself staring into like a pit of, I don't know, discouragement and confusion. And throughout that process, God was so gracious and I think protecting me and then drawing me to himself. And so I became a Christian uh, when I was 20. And then I started just kind of serving at the church where I had grown up, and then I became an intern, uh, and I was going to Bible school at the time, doing my degree, and then I became the youth pastor, and then I was associate, then I've been the lead pastor for nine years. I've been on staff for fifteen. But you're catching me in the middle of the biggest change of our lives. So I met my wife at the church I'm at. We've been married ten years. We have two kids, Caden and Mila. They've both grown up at this church but we're transitioning out to do a church plant in Vancouver likely in 2020. So I'm my end date officially is the end of April and uh then we're going into this transitional season of of planning and praying and preparing for a move to the city. So there's a lot more there but that's basically where we're at and uh but we love our church and we've been here I've been on staff here for 15 years. And so it's been amazing. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. All right. Chris, what's your favorite TV show?
0: My favorite TV show of all time is probably The Office. I've watched it before it was on Netflix. I watched, I bought the DVDs. Okay. Back when DVDs were a thing, and <laughs> yeah. I watched through The Office. And then when it came on Netflix, I watched it all through again. And uh, so that's probably my favorite show it's great for memes you know you can pull mm-hmm. a lot of memes oh, yeah. out of it or oh, yeah. uh and there's just so many iconic scenes for me personally so i love the characters uh yeah that's my favorite i who's, think
1: who's your favorite character in the office
0: um my favorite character is michael scott Absolutely. just because of his uniqueness and even the evolution of the character throughout the seasons to me it was very compelling but who doesn't like Pam and Jim and their romance right. as it blossomed over the years? That was a well-written, well-developed romance, I think. Uh,
1: here's a question that's coming out of this conversation. Chris Price, mm-hmm. what's, your, what's your top
0: dating tip? My top dating tip is you're not just dating the girl, you're dating the family. If she loves her family, uh, so remember that. And also, honor, respect, and listen well. There we go. Now that would go both ways.
1: Like if you're if you're dating a a girl, like you understand that if she loves her family. If you're dating a guy, also how he treats his family, of course, yeah, respect. And so Mm -hmm. when you say honor and respect, what do you even mean by that? Like what does that look like?
0: Well, I mean honor and respect. I think I'm I'm talking about uh, being a positive presence in their life, fighting for them, encouraging them helping them flourish, you know, and so there's a sense in which honor and respect uh, is not a selfish endeavor. Those are other centered kind of works. And so to be there for that person, and to practice the kinds of behaviors and traits that lead to a successful life and marriage together early on, regardless of if you're marrying that person, or not, you want to be practicing those kinds of habits. I think
1: one of the questions I have that I'd love for you to um, kind of respond to is if somebody was uh, talking to you and they were maybe new in the faith or they were struggling in the faith of maybe struggling in in doubts or questions, where would you direct them in Scripture? What, What kind of places would you go?
0: Yeah, I would always, always point them to the Gospels. I know everyone always says new believer, you give them the Gospel of John. I'm not so particular. I think like you could give them any of the gospels, uh, because that's what I want them to immerse themselves in, the way of Jesus, who he is, what he did, and then get that deep in their kind of hearts, and uh then move on to some of the epistles and stuff that explain more doctrine and, and stuff like that. Uh so that's where I'd point them towards. Now if it's it depends what their doubts and struggles are. I mean, if they're reading the gospels. And there's a lot of doubts or struggles arising out of that, then there's good commentaries or a study bible I'd point them towards. If they have very specific uh questions based on the i don't know authenticity of the stories recorded in scripture or the viability of miracles or the trustworthiness of the Bible, then there's ministries there's websites there's you know lots of books you could recommend, but mainly, I want them to baptize their imagination with the stories of scripture the stories of jesus how he interacted with people uh and what he did and i just want them to get into that
1: um yes that's interesting that you even say that like baptizing their mind i think that's a cool image of like this like immersing or saturating would be another word of like just through and through you are Inundated with the inform- not the information but with the story, the lifestyle of Jesus and that's one of the questions that I think um, is is asked the wrong way? And here's what I mean by that. I think there's times where people you know maybe they struggle in their faith or they struggle with what they believe or they struggle with where to go and in when they turn to scripture they're looking for answers on what to believe. And I think actually that can oftentimes be a masking question of how am I to live? Like, how am I to be? And it sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like even in this um, conversation that you're you're sharing right now, is you're saying, hey, learn the way of Jesus, like the rhythm of his life, the way that he interacts with others. And yeah, it's important to learn the some facts and some information and having good theology is important. Reading the book of Romans to get some good you know, foundation pieces there. Would you, would you see it in the same light or would you? how would you respond to that?
0: Yeah, I would think that uh, you, there's a danger where you turn, like this is a danger even in systematic theology where you actually just mine the Bible, different areas of the Bible for certain statements about a certain idea about God and it's detached from the story of God in Scripture. And I think that the more you immerse yourself in the Gospels or in the biblical story, you get a feel for the unfolding drama of salvation and how God's working it out in a people. And then you start thinking, oh, I'm a character who has a part in this unfolding drama. And once you know the story, then you can start to discover by the Spirit and through the Word how to live in light of that story. And so the ethics and stuff flow out of that. I think there is this desire, maybe it's because we're the Google generation. We have a question, we punch it into Google, we get a bunch of Wikipedia. So it's like we approach the Bible the same way, and I think it resists that. I think that it's not as systematic as we want to make it. It is this story that we need to saturate ourselves in and situate ourselves in, and then start to live out in our time, in our place, in our context. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that's why, you know, Tim Mackey and the Bible Project is so, is huge right now. Yeah. And we've had Tim on in doubt in the in the past. And and even now, that the story that he's able to articulate with through video is is so helpful for people. I, I refer so many people to, hey, go watch the Bible Project. Yes. Go yeah. check them out. And I think that's where, you know, even in referring someone to read a passage of Scripture, or to find a book of the Bible, is to say, you know, hey, do you know the context of, do you know the story, essentially, of what's going on here? Do you know why Jesus was... You know, people didn't like him. Like, do you know the backdrop, the setting of it all? And I think that's oftentimes a huge reason why people have a hesitancy to like even open
0: the Bible and start reading it. It just feels so big. And I would say something else, and maybe this will sound strange, but I've said to people pastorally, you need to stop reading the Bible. You need to start studying the Bible. Those are different things. Like some people, all their Bible reading is devotional. And it becomes problematic because I've noticed in pastoral ministry, even in people who've been in the church for years, they solely read the Bible devotionally, like just Psalms and get a kind of vibe off it or a feeling. They're not actually developing a biblical worldview. They're not actually understanding the overarching narrative of Scripture and how the book of Galatians fits into that, how the book of Romans fits into that how Matthew tells the story of Jesus in such a way to see it as the climax of Israel's story and all the parallels that are so rich and deep and life-giving. You miss all of that if you just do like soap, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. I believe in that. I encourage that as well. But there comes a point where you got to do the Bible project thing, where you hear how it's in the whole story, how it all ties together, and you're studying the Scripture and the story, and letting it kind of shape your your imagination and discipline your way of thinking about the world. I really do think that if you only read, say, the Psalms devotionally, you probably are not going to develop a biblical worldview. You'll develop biblical language for prayer, which is helpful. The Psalms are like a gymnasium for prayer, so you'll go for a workout. But you need to situate even that in the whole story. And that's why the Bible Project guys are so helpful again and again. I hope that doesn't sound heretical. I'm saying, hey, read the Bible devotionally and do systematic theology. I'm not against those things, but they're limited if you're not studying Scripture, if you're not immersing yourself in the story and then living in response to that.
1: And so the invitation is to, to say, hey, you don't know why this matters. And know how this can apply to your life. And you know know how it applied to the people of the ancient Near East. And then, you know, you in the 21st century, like, recognize that there's a bit of a bridge that you need to understand culturally and contextually. Yes. And and I even think, you know, I don't hear you saying that, you know, one's right or, or wrong. But I, I do hear you saying, hey, both need to be, they complement each other. Yeah. and And they go together to study God's word and but also to read it devotionally and prayerfully. And, and so, you know, I, I think one of the questions I I have is, you know, even in that approach and that response is, would you say the same thing to churchgoers? Would you say there's similar pieces to being part of a body of people who are living out the expression of the faith? Or how would you respond to somebody who said similarly, like, I don't know if the church is so important for me?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd want to get to the bottom of like, why they're saying that because maybe there's deep hurt there or disappointment that you want to minister to and speak into and journey with them through. But sometimes it's not that. They're just like, think Sunday morning service is boring or whatever, whatever it is. And if that's the case, then I'd say, look, all the letters in the New Testament, even those that are written to a person are actually written to a people, to a church. And God's always been after a people which includes just persons and individuals, but a people. He's creating a a people. And we are made in the image of a triune God. We're made for a relationship. Righteousness is just right-relatedness. To be righteous is to be right-related to God and to be right-related to one another. And so it implies a relationship again and again throughout Scripture. And uh, I just really wish that our generation, the upcoming generation, would learn to to love the church and to love the church is to be a part of the church, to be a part of the body. There's all those one another's in scripture, right? Love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. There's over 50 of them. You can't one another, one another, if you're not with one another, right? right? Like you, like you cannot authentically live out the Christian life in any way that resembles the new Testament apart from being in relationship with people. But I hope we learn to, to love, the church to be a christian is to have a perfect father in heaven and an imperfect family on earth and i know we will rail about hypocrisy but man if you're looking for a place where everyone is perfectly consistent and always lives up their ideals you will be looking forever there's no such group and i think too i mean part of it's recognizing like the brokenness we bring as persons to any people, right? And the church to be a place where we work out that together and journey together and practice the spiritual disciplines together and live out the story together. Like we're talking about the story of God. We can't live out the story alone. And we were never, ever meant to.
1: My question is, you know, well, how do you live out community? What does that look like?
0: For me, a key thing, and this is in the church world, right? But like small groups have, have been huge for me, weekly gatherings with people outside of like a big service where you're actually in one another's lives face to face praying for one another encouraging one another and out of that also flows other kind of opportunities for relationship for serving one another for helping each other move for showing up for babysitting each other's kids for showing up in the medical emergency like that's been a source of great connection in my life in the end it's all like it's always intentional, right? Like no one trips and falls and stumbles into intimacy. Like that. there's always, intimacy always in, requires intention, right? Like you have to cultivate it. And so it's, it's even scheduling into your week times where you're going to be phone free and you're going to engage with people, right? And so it's just a priority thing. It's like a scheduling thing. It's being intentional and not expecting intimacy or closeness and relationships to just happen it, that, you know, uh, I think too, like CS Lewis talked about friendship and he said, friendship's always about something. He said, those who, and this sounds a little bit kind of mean, but he said, those who just sit around and like whine about how they never have friends will never have friends. He's like, friendship has to be about something about shared activities. So those who are pursuing interests are interesting. And, then they find friends and community around those interests, around those hobbies, around those common faith commitments or something, right? So it's like, again, that comes back to the intentionality of it. Yeah, it's easier to go on your phone. Uh, yeah, it's less vulnerable. Yeah, it's less messy. It's all those things. But it's not as rich. It's not as life-giving. It's not, it's not going to help you in crisis. And so like a local author from Abbotsford, Sarah Bessie, she talked about Jesus having – she talked about garden friends. And the idea there was that Jesus had 12 disciples, and then he had his three friends who came to the garden. And so we all need the the 12, I think, to cultivate the 12. That's maybe my small group, but we need to be intentional about the three. Like, who are the garden friends who are going to show up for you in a crisis? Who are going to be at your bedside in the end? Who are going to be with you if you have a miscarriage, or if you, those friends and to cultivate those relationships and to see them as the gift they are from God and to not neglect those kinds of relationships. And so I, you know, I even think of in those kind of concentric circles, you have the people where you have relationships based on affinity or stage of life, and it's great for a time. Uh, but then you have those kind of garden friends.
1: That's a great way of putting it. And and even as you said that, like the intentionality of like just doing something like hey you're you're not in the community that you're longing for or hoping for so what are you going to do about it make an effort like you know do the inventory of yourself am I am I putting myself in those environments where I'm with people of common interests common goals common faith commitments but then also am I the kind of friend like going back to this dating piece am I the kind of friend that is going to garner those types of relationships am I going to be a friend that's for those people
0: and these are all really complex things. Like, there's people who have mental health struggles who find that very challenging. There's people who've been hurt in relationships. You know, I think relationships are often our greatest source of pain and our greatest source of healing. Uh, and so, there's there's so much complexity around that. And there's obviously situations where. That's great advice. You need to be the kind of friend you want to see, right? Like, what's the, isn't there that quote where it's like, be the change you want to see in the world, right? Like, I don't know who said it, but like, it's almost like be the type of friend you'd like to have. And that's good advice because it doesn't make you passive. It doesn't make you just a victim. It empowers you to change. And, but then there's also where that, so this is the complexity that could turn into an unhealthy situation where you're always the giver, and that person's always the taker. And you actually need to find other givers, right? You will always have relationships that take more than they give. That's always You can't avoid that. And, and in fact, you should have relationships like that if you're serving people, I think, personally. But you must also have relationships that give, give, give to you, that restore your soul, that refresh you, that encourage you. Because uh, when people get that out of balance, when they have more takers than givers in their lives, their emotional health just bottoms out really quickly. And then they can't even be a good friend anymore. And they can even in extreme cases get in an abusive situation. So yeah, it's, it's a complex thing, but I think like there's a lot there that people need to think through.
1: I think, okay, I wanna ask one final question for you. And this is a question that, you know, as best you can, just express how we can take, again, simple steps to hopefully bring about change. So what are some things that would help individuals find rest in their faith?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I would want to, like, I'm really big on, like, the ancient practices and the spiritual disciplines that Jesus himself engaged in in his ministry, two of which being, uh, like, Sabbath in the sense of a day of rest where your only rule is to not do what feels like work. We were talking about things that drain you, things that refresh you, and so I really am a firm believer in that kind of ancient wisdom in, in the Hebrew scriptures, this, this day of rest, and on that day, I go, I identify in my life what drains me and what fills me, because that's a helpful exercise for anyone to do, but on that day, once a week, every week, I do the things that drain or that sorry not drain me that that refresh me and restore my soul so that might be things that are very overtly spiritual like reading scripture journaling prayer what or it could be really frisbee golf i don't play frisbee golf i don't know why i said that as an example but like like something that's just really fun a barbecue with friends can really replenish you and restore you and is in itself very spiritual and can be very honoring and glorifying to God, right? And so I'd say Sabbath rhythms are huge for those looking for rest. But I think Sabbath also challenges the deeper thing in us that wants to justify our existence and justify our sense of worth by impressing others, by getting perfect marks, by going over and above. And that's what's actually exhausting us, that's actually what's weary to our soul, this sense of living out of a place of insecurity, living for the approval of others in whatever form we take that to come. And really the answer to that is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who on the cross did all that was necessary for our salvation, paid the price in full, and secured our identity as beloved children of God. And to live out of that place of gift, is to find rest for your soul. It gives you the ability to say no to all the extra things that you'd be tempted to do if you were trying to prove your worth, validate your existence, and impress other people. You're no longer enslaved to people's opinion and approval of you, which is what's driving people into the ground in relationships and in work. You're starting to step into the liberating experience of knowing by the Spirit experientially that you're a beloved son or daughter of God. And if you doubt that, you look to the cross where Jesus paid it all. So that's the deeper rest. And if you don't have that rest, you probably can't even Sabbath anyways. You can't have solitude that's restorative anyways. And so really, I think the ultimate solution is an ever-growing understanding of the gospel and how it applies to areas of rest. So Tim Keller says the gospel is not the ABCs that we move beyond as we mature. No, it's the A to Z. The gospel has innumerable applications for our lives. And it certainly speaks to our fatigue because it's a soul weariness in this generation. It's not just a physical weariness. And frankly, social media contributes to that where we're always posting to get validation and to get likes and we're frustrated when we don't get as many as we want and we pull that picture and we whatever, right? Um, That is not the path to rest. That is not the path to joy. That is not the path to fulfillment. Um, The gospel is, and an ever-increasing awareness and understanding of its implications. Um, That turned into like a little bit of a preach there. I don't know. I just went on a run there. So, but I think that, yeah, but I, so then I just add to that, that's the deeper thing, but the rhythms of Sabbath and solitude, I think are huge uh, for this generation solitude where you actually unplug from social media for a time and just get with the Lord and invite him to speak to you and minister to you, the deep places in you. I think it's huge. Yeah,
1: this is this is great, Chris. I feel like we could continue talking, and I've got a list of questions I want to ask you. Um, and so maybe we'll have to call you back another time and uh, and have your insight because even in all of this, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of density here that we could unpack and apply into our lives and would actually bring about like the good things that we hoped for. Um, and whether it's in relationships or in community, in church life, in our own personal life with God, or dating, whatever it is. I think I think one of the things that's important is that God is deeply concerned with how we live. And so these practical application things, they actually matter for how we live and how we uh, affect change in the world, positively or negatively. And hopefully it's positively and uh, for his kingdom. And so, yeah, it's been a great, great pleasure to have this time to chat with you. And uh, so thanks for being on with us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of In Doubt with Chris Price. We talked about a handful of different things in this episode. And if you have any questions from it or you'd like to go deeper into anything we talked about, you can always send us a message and I'll take the time to get into it on an upcoming episode. If you'd like to follow Chris Price on social media, we'll have that info in our episode links section of our website. And I want to take a second to ask you if you're willing and if In Doubt has encouraged you to partner with us financially. As we continue to provide resources, we depend on the generosity of people just like you to help communicate the good news of who Jesus is to a world that desperately needs him. Your financial partnership, whether it's big or small, goes a really long way in helping us continue to achieve our goal. To find out more about In Doubt, you can go to indoubt.ca if you're in Canada and indoubt.com if you're in the United States. Download our app and follow us on social media. We would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to share your story of how Indoubt has impacted you, email us at info@indoubt.ca. At Stay connected with us for next week's episode as we talk with Andrew Marcus.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.